Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the first episode of a new podcast series I'm doing. Uh, as you probably know, if you've been listening to my channel, I'm Al. And uh, today to help me with this series I'm going to be doing, a friend of mine from back in the college years, uh, Marcus. So how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you today, man? Uh, well, uh, getting ready for winter. Hopefully it, you know, I, I kind of like the fall weather we're having right now and just kind of hoping it uh, stay, stays around for a while. So do I. So A little bit more than the two weeks of fall we usually get. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I usually love this time of year. It's just that for some reason, it's kind of like iffy where sometimes it'll be really nice for a few days. And then, of course, you know, two days later, it'll be crappy. And then we'll get a couple of days of nice. But eh, we're not we're not all here to talk about the weather. You know, there's right. the weather channel for that. So uh, this series we're doing is called The Casual Martial Artist. And it's something I've decided to do for a while, because anyone who's listened to my Geekery in general podcast, you know I like martial arts, and I've talked about it here and there, and uh, and uh, Marcus here also um, in the martial arts, both practicing as well as, you know, some of the other things like with the pop culture, you know, in movies, and I mean, who doesn't like a good martial arts movie, right? Right. So... Whether the classics, stick yeah. most of the classics. Yeah, because uh, I know, um, well, Chad and I have done a couple of reviews on martial arts movies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've done a couple of the Shaw Brothers ones and then the Mortal right. Kombat movie, which yeah, that's something we else we might touch on during our, you know, the, the various uh, episodes we do here. But the reason I call it casual martial artist is because, well, neither of us really do this professionally. Um, you know, we're pretty much it's just an interest of ours. So... Uh, you know, like I said, we're just a couple guys who like martial arts and like talking about martial arts. So for this first episode, it's going to be just a little bit more of an introduction. Introduction. There it is. I can't talk. Introduction. Uh, so as I said, I've talked about my martial arts background a little bit. So Marcus, why don't you start and go ahead. Tell us a little bit about your martial arts background. What got you into it? What arts you've studied? Um, I had a cousin who was into wrestling and he taught me how to wrestle sometimes <laughs> against my will but you know i learned <laughs> um then i guess being really scrawny getting bullied all the time i took taekwondo which kind of didn't work out so well for reasons we'll probably discuss on a later podcast mm -hmm. um then i turned my i was always influenced by bruce lee's gq or Tao of gq do so um you know he's one of the probably the more one of the more modern day pioneers of the mixed martial arts movement, in my opinion. And being influenced by the book, I got into boxing and that was my main martial art. That and what little of Muay Thai I could pick up here and there until the mixed martial art and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fad caught fire in this country. And that's kind of where I concentrated the majority of my training. Okay. And... Like I said, for me, uh, I first, I mean, I was always kind of interested in martial arts when I was a kid, mostly from, mm -hmm. I mean, I was also bullied a bit uh, back in school. There were a few times where I've had, you know, I've gotten into schoolyard fights, but no one, you know, got seriously injured, fortunately. Right. But, uh, and of course, video games. Yes, I admit I was, uh, so when it comes to street fighting video games, were you more of a street fighter guy or a Mortal Kombat guy? Oh, I never played video games, the combat video games. Okay. Um, remember, we had this talk the other day. Um, last games that I played were still 
uh, Centipede and Pac-Man. <laughs> so it wasn't until now when I'm trying to, I'm looking into playing uh, Skyrim that I've started back up again. Yeah, and uh, so you never even played like Karate Champ. That's a uh, that's an old fighting game. I didn't actually. Uh, you're not missing much. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah it's considered one of the probably one of the worst fighting games of all time okay uh, it's not and it's definitely not a fighting game as most people today would uh define it there's no special right. moves uh it's basically a guy in i think like a white karate gi and uh mm -hmm. someone in a red karate gi fighting each other they both have the exact same moves the play control is pretty terrible. So like I said, you're not missing much, but okay. <laughs> um, that's probably, well, also there was another one. I don't know if it came before or after Karate Champ, Karateka. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I never heard of that one either. Yeah, that one was interesting in that it was um, more of a side-scrolling one where right. uh, you had like, you know, you'd have to get in your fighting stance at the right, right. time and then... Uh, you just had guys kind of randomly run at you and you'd fight them. So those are probably two of the earliest fighting games that I personally remember. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, when I, like I said, I did enjoy Street Fighter 2. I was always more of a Street Fighter 2 than a Mortal Kombat guy, but who knows, maybe maybe we'll talk about that another day. Okay. So, I mean, I actually didn't start getting into martial arts until college. Uh, that's when my first year I started at the uh, Oshkosh Karate Club doing Tang Sudo. Mm -hmm. uh, also, during that year, I started studying Anaya and Eskrima. Um, also did, well, then, so I did that my first year. And then my second year, I got out of the Tang Sudo and got into Tiger Claw Kung Fu, uh, continued doing that. And then after getting out of college, I've uh, continued to work on Kung Fu when I can. Did a little bit of American freestyle karate, which I know we've talked this is an episode we're going to, that's a topic for another day. Right. And... Then the currently I'm studying a martial art called Kung Nu, which is a Vietnamese martial art that combines aspects of Vovinam, Tai Chi, Aikido, Judo, Boxing, Shotokan, and Wing Chun. Um, mm -hmm. So, so far that is, that's kind of my martial arts background where I have, I am, uh, been doing the uh, Kung Nu for little over a year it's just i've been had to take a little bit of a rest because my knee got somehow messed up <laughs> right so can i ask you yes go ahead um what if any influence did your your training in the filipino martial arts have on your empty hand fighting what you personally prefer to use um my what fighting what what influence did your studying the filipino martial arts have on your you know the what you use for empty hand fighting oh empty hand well mm -hmm. with um with the escrima not as much mainly because mm -hmm. the i mean there are unarmed elements of escrima right but and the the system the system i studied this it was called chain of hands or cadena right. de mano right. um more, the thing that the main thing i liked from escrima was uh it was a double parry uh which is mainly used for you know, you're blocking, like, let's say you're with your left hand and then you're using your other hand to kind of check it. So, I mean, that was probably one of my favorite unarmed techniques I took from uh, Eskrima because, I, you know, you kind of get the attack out of the way and then you're checking it as you get ready for your follow-up. Right, right. Okay. It always interests me because <clears throat> my exposure to Filipino martial arts is limited by watching tapes of the Dog Brothers fights. I don't know if you've seen those guys. Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, they're um, hardcore stick fighters, and 
they get together and have these full contact stick fighting fights. Um, you know, whenever it is they arrange them. But um, it always interests me in how you can take stick fighting and translate that into an empty hand. Yeah, and that's one of the things about a screamo that, mm-hmm. um, like I said, I haven't really experimented with taking some of the stick techniques and doing empty hand with them. Right. But they're supposed to be really easy to translate into other, you know, other types of armed combat. And right. again, part of that is just a lot of the people who first originally studied a screamo, they weren't professional soldiers and they weren't fighters. Right. Uh, right. So they were farmers and merchants and fishermen who needed a simple but reliable method of self-defense. Right. Um, so that's why. But yeah, I mean, I've I have heard that with a screamo, and there's another art, china, that again it's supposed to be more re- reacting to angles of attack as opposed to specific techniques, which makes it easier to translate. And I think that's right. always a good thing to to do, know how to do. Right. So now, um, I know you said that you did a. Uh, jiu-jitsu right mm-hmm. was it the brazilian the brazilian jiu-jitsu where did you do that in college or was that just I, I did that and um they had a little club in college and they had a little club in fond du lac um a couple of the gentlemen went on to become professional fighters actually in the local and regional level um got a chance to spar them and roll with them as it were and yeah i learned a lot that's cool mostly enough. got tooled my first month or so but you know <laughs> ended up adapting yeah, because uh, when I was in college, uh, my last couple years, you know, I had some friends that I were, you know, would work out with, and there occasionally there were some guys who did jujitsu. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they were the same, because I don't remember seeing a jujitsu club on campus. Mm-hmm. Was it just like in the town, or? Um, yeah, it was in the town. It was, it was actually me and two other guys from the university, and one guy I don't know where he. I don't think he went to school. He's just another enthusiast like us, mm-hmm. and we'd get together and just. One of them took lessons from, um, I believe his name is Pedro Sauer, and oh. you know he bring yeah he, doesn't he's pretty familiar. yeah he's a competitive and he owns a chain of schools I think or something like that, but uh yeah he'd bring what he knew over and I'd you know contribute my boxing had one guy contribute their Muay Thai and so on and so forth judo guy with his judo throws. Yeah, because the I mean it was always fun doing the jujitsu. Like I said, I didn't mm-hmm. really have any. I don't really consider myself trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu unless you consider mm-hmm. getting, you know, beat up by Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys as training. Right. right. So, but still, I did learn a little bit from them. And, you know, they were really, they were really nice down-to-earth guys. So it was always right. fun practicing with them. And, um, right. yeah, it seems BJJ and Kick Muay Thai seem to be a really good combination. Um, I mean, I, I know you see that a lot in the UFC. Uh, right. At least what I've heard, I honestly, I haven't really watched a lot of UFC. I just know that those two martial arts are pretty, um, you know, are, are very common in that, in competitive fighting. Right. right. And there are two of the ones where I, that I would consider um, base martial arts, um, you know, things that you take like this. My philosophy is the what I would consider my base would be the, almost the same as MMA, but not... Um, there's, of course, techniques that can't translate from MMA to defending yourself, you know, in a situation or, um, you know, octagon-specific kind of things. Um, but there's also things, of course, you can do when you're defending yourself. You can't do in the in a cage. Yeah, that's, that's true, and it's because, uh, I mean, and that's another, again, maybe this might be a topic for another day. I say that right, on my right, Geekery right. in General podcast a lot, too, but, you know, the whole, okay, can something that 
is designed for competitive fighting, is that really, you know, can that easily translate into the streets? And does something, can something that, you know, you might use in the streets, does that really translate well into competitive? Right, Um, right. Honestly, I can kind of see both sides because, right. you know, of course, in a competitive fight, you're probably not going to be trying to kick someone in the groin or, or poke, you know, poke them in the eyes. Right. Uh, obviously, something you, you're free to do in the streets if that's right. what the situation would call for. Right. Yeah, you'd hope. It, anyway, I've seen yeah. some boxing matches where you, the guy went for his eyes. But anyway, yeah, um, especially when you're a fan of something like boxing, like I am, you can tell uh, – like there's moves like a guy fighting off the ropes or a guy taking a whole bunch of punches on his arms and said, you know, you're not going to want to do that yeah. too much on the street. You know, you're going to want to either move out of the way or block with your elbow or, you know, parry something. You're not going to want to let, especially if it's a guy twice your size, just hammer away on your, you know, sometimes that's all you can do. But ideally yeah. you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. The rope-a-dope, isn't that what the fighting? Right. Rope? Yeah. Cause uh, Muhammad right. Ali, that's what his big thing I remember. And, uh, um, but yeah, one thing I, when I was, uh, just reading up about boxing a little bit, it's actually interesting that to the untrained eye, you know, it looks like just two people punching each other. Mm-hmm. So I think there's what, like three or four commonly accepted styles of boxing. It's like, you know, you got the swarmers who focus on a lot of, uh, you know, like lots of punches, mm-hmm. brawlers. Um, and then there's like I think outfighters is what Muhammad Ali was, where you know focuses more on. Uh, I know what I said he focused a lot on like was it moving into better positions, right? Stick and move they call it. Yeah, and I think there's one other, but I I don't I I just it name escapes me. But mm-hmm. well, see I'm one of the big defenders of uh, studying early styles of boxing, like from the late 1800s to the 1930s because I think those because it comes it's halfway it's like the the child of bare knuckle boxing where it's just first translating into the glove boxing so a lot of it has it's applicable to what you know someone like you or I would consider a martial art or self-defense art or even I think it's more useful for MMA styles if you mix the two of them yeah, and I did see a video on YouTube where a guy was talking about the, you know, the, the bare knuckle boxing mm-hmm. and how some of it could actually be very effective. Um, right. And it like just even, I, I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen, you know, people out there probably have seen pictures of the bare knuckle boxing stance, mm-hmm. even if you're not, you don't really yeah. know. Uh, usually, it's kind of like, you know, like the the, the put them up stance. I, yeah, I yeah, always yeah. compare it to the Fighting Irish, right? Uh, logo. Um. But yeah, the I think it's a YouTube channel, Fight Tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting how um you know some of those stances where they might not look like they would be effective, but if applied properly, can actually be quite effective. Right. Um, I was doing a little research on Bartitsu. Oh which, yes. You know where the, he was talking about uh when, I, when that I was reading about how the guy who founded it he took some of that bare knuckle boxing and he he had a philosophy that he called aggressive defense where it was modifying a block so that if it you know it punched or you know someone punched or kicked you it would actually do more damage to them so right not sure how that would work but it sounds like it'd be an interesting concept well i can tell you um one that i've learned that at least that i enjoy that can be applied almost anywhere is someone's throwing a shot at you 
Um, some of the old timers used to put up their elbow and catch it on their elbow. I mean, okay. especially in a bare knuckle match, it's going to hurt the guy's knuckle more than it's going to hurt your elbow because it's one of the hardest substances on the body, of course. Um, and just to piggyback off what you were saying about Bartitsu, just goes to show you that people were doing the mixed martial art thing way before it was popular, you know? Yeah. That's the lady face of Victorian era, and guys are already thinking in those terms. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people consider uh, Edward Barton Wright, uh, the guy who founded mm-hmm. it, as the first mm-hmm. mixed martial artist. Right. And that's because he, you know, he had a little bit of history. He had spent some time in Japan where he learned jujitsu and karate and judo. And, you know, when he came back to, well, I don't know if he did karate. I know he did like jujitsu and judo. But mm-hmm. uh, when he came back to England, he uh, combined it with, you know, the bare knuckle boxing and, you know, stick and knife fighting. Right. And the thing that was interesting about it, it was very, it was developed to, for a very specific problem. Right. Muggers. Right. And he taught self-defense to women suffragettes. And uh, a lot of the strategy involved in it had to do with distraction as well. So like, you know how like back in the day, they'd carry the little fancy handkerchief in, you know, in their front pockets, you know, you right. could use that as a distraction technique. Someone's trying to mug you, take it out and, you know, throw it in their face and, Right. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long, uh, but it, I guess it has it has um, had a bit of a comeback in over the last ten years or so, where there are people trying to piece together these techniques and try to mm-hmm. you know reconstitute the style. So I think that's cool. Right. It, just, it just sounds like it was a. I mean, I think it's historically important, as you know, we were saying it was pretty much the first mixed martial art. Yeah, and. Um... Um, kind of the art of Sherlock Holmes, if you read the novels, mm-hmm. although he changes the name around, yeah, to yeah, and, yeah, and then he also referred to it as Japanese wrestling, and right. Uh, also, what Barton did is he he promoted so suck on this UFC. He actually promoted fights between different styles, you know, long before UFC, right? Uh, and they found that back then, the the people who were doing the Greco-Roman wrestling they would often fare worse against the jujitsu fighters because they weren't used to that submission style. They were more used right. to the takedown and keep them pinned, you know, for however, I mean, I'm not familiar with Greco Romans. So, but keep them pinned for however, you know, many seconds. So right. like when they were fighting against these people who are doing like triangles and chokes and, um, you know, arm bars on them, they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to deal with that. Right. Um, also, if I'm not mistaken, he took the foot techniques from Savat. Also, the old timey Savat, though, yeah. with a, you know, that was more street oriented. Yeah, he, that's right. He did do the Savat as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always thought that would be an interesting art because the, uh, that one I think it was. I know it's French kickboxing, mm-hmm. and it was, it was used mostly for uh, French sailors to kind of like keep their legs limber doing these kicks. But eventually, right. yeah, they did de- develop it into that street style where. Um, some of the kicks, like the oblique kick, that's one mm-hmm. that when I was in a scream, my instructor taught us. And I don't remember if he said if it was from Savat or from kickboxing, but that, again, one of those kicks that's very, very useful with big, heavy boots. <laughs> right, right. Um, <clears throat> which is again, um, you know, when we're talking about there's ring Savat, box Francaise, and you know, street Savat, which is the old style. So yeah. For someone like me and you training, and we're not going to compete. At least I'm not going to compete anymore. 
Um, yeah, I I don't plan on competing anytime soon. Right. Useful to make the distinction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, I mean, I'd have to. So about the martial, we both have talked about how we've studied different martial arts. Mm-hmm. What do you think would probably be the favorite one of yours that you've studied? Oof. Probably, I want to say boxing. Now, I only because I know its limitations, but as far as footwork, defense, and moves that um, the training that trains, you know, your as Bruce Lee would have said, attributes, you know, endurance, strength, flexibility, reflexes, coordination, balance, and precision. It's uh, probably the best you can get. I mean, for my, you know, for my taste, you know, training yeah. in the bags, doing the road work, your jump roping and um, sparring realistically, because, you you know, if you're training at a gym, you're going to be sparring realistically, whether you want to or not, you know, because yeah. they're not going to train there very long. Not, um, so to me, that's probably been my favorite because that was my, that was after being coming from out of a Taekwondo environment, that was my first taste of reality. You know, someone hitting me live, hitting me hard, you know, wanting to take my head off. Yeah. It's, How about you? Oh, I would, I mean, I really love the Kung Fu style I studied, but like I said, mm-hmm. even though I haven't been studying Kung Nu very long, I do like it. I mean, I like the class I'm in and the te- the instructors and the other students, but right. I mean, I like how it does take, because Kung and Nu, okay, I should know this by now, but uh, one, I think Kung in Vietnamese means hard and then Nu means soft. Um, I might be, I might be off on that, but, uh, and it's again, it's the whole idea of that, you know, learning about hard and soft style techniques. And right. that's one of the things I like about it, how, yeah, it does take some of the hard stuff from, like, karate and boxing, but, again, it does throw in some of the softer stuff for, a keto, for like, Aikido and Judo, um, it, which I just find it's helpful because you never know what you're going to need to do in a fight. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty impressed, you know, when I've looked at their curriculum after you told me about it because, you know, they're taking almost a philosophy that we've been talking about here, mm-hmm. you know, Taking what you need a little there, here, a little there, a little here, a little there to make you well-rounded and, you know, prepare you for, you know, what most eventualities, like you just said. Yeah, and and I also like how we do a lot. We do a lot more sparring than this than we did in kung fu, which right. And, and I know that anyone who's done, you know, who's really serious about martial arts, that's where, you know, sparring is extremely important because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing for me to apply someone on a classmate apply a technique on a classmate that's you know complying with me but it's entirely another thing to try to punch someone who doesn't want to be punched right um and i know with like jujitsu for example they were uh this one video i was watching and you know of course on youtube you look up what's the best martial art you'll find dozens of hits but one of the 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 narrator of this video was saying that one of the things that was nice about brazilian jujitsu um was the fact that they they sparred a lot or, or rolling as as you guys call it um right. and again that's helpful because it it really it teaches you how to apply technique against someone who's actively resisting you or live right. resistance um so yeah i mean i really like it so far and i'm just waiting for my knee to finally mend up so i can get back into class <laughs> um and that's what i think the beauty about something like what you're studying and kind of what my philosophy is um you don't have to go too in depth to any one branch unless you want to mm-hmm. like you know you could take what you learn there and concentrate on the stand-up and you know take that study further if you want to outside what you're learning but you have that base that you're picking up right there you know or you could you know 
you wanted to do more jujitsu and concentrate on the grappling, you do BJJ or, or throwing, you do going to judo or something like that. But, you know, as long as someone has that base, if they find something that works for them or just, you know, that they're interested in, you know, they can go and pursue it. Yeah. And, and uh, I know this yet. Yeah, okay. Say it with me. This is a topic for another time, possibly, but, right. um, yeah, because, I mean, I know that there's people that argue, okay, grappling's better and strike. some people argue striking's better where, you know, I mean, I th- I think it is both are important, at least in my opinion, both are important aspects of martial arts. Right. Grappling can be handy, and it's especially helpful, I think, if you just want to try to restrain someone without causing physical damage. Right. But sometimes you just got to punch someone in the face. Right. <laughs> uh, it's... Astounding to me that that argument is still being made in 2018. Yeah. I mean, you you need a little bit of both, basically. Um, yeah. And, you know, as much as anything, training your awareness of, of your environment, all that, you know, some of the better, that's some of the best self-defense you can do, you know? Yep. Sometimes the best defense is not to get into a fight in the first place. Right, right, right. So, and I know that's what uh, some of my martial arts instructors have, you know, they have had that in the curriculum. Like, mm-hmm. uh, they did that in a screamer. Uh, they called it the, what was it, the well, because I know in Kung Nu they've got a different terminology they use for it, but it's essentially the same thing where, um, the five steps of awareness where it's like, you know, recognition, uh, you know, you recognize something that's potentially a threat, uh, right. analyzation, you analyze, okay, is it a threat? Interpretation is your yes or no answer. Strategization, strategy. Okay. <laughs> Can't talk. Uh. So that's where you develop what strategy you're going to do. And then finally initiation where you are, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you put your plan into effect. So, mm-hmm. and again, of course, this, the rea- reaction, that's what you said, the steps of reaction, where of course, you know, in a good example I always give is if you're driving along and then you see the car in front of you, put its brakes on while well, you go through those steps really quickly. But depending on the situation, it can take anywhere from a few seconds to a few minutes to, to go through all five steps. Did, right. did they ever do a lot of that stuff in the, the arts you've done or not in the arts I've done, but in some of the material I've studied, you know, on my own pursuit, you know, there's a lot of gentlemen out there. One by the name of Rory Miller, his whole system is based upon, you know, being aware and being, uh, you know, just being, you know, conscious of your surroundings and of the, the, the energy you feel when you're around there. So, yeah, I mean, some of the good stuff is out there, but it unfortunately, you know, most of the people I trained with were, uh, that's when everyone still thought that, you know, you learn jujitsu and that's all you need to know, you know, you know, not even the jujitsu, jujitsu guys are saying that anymore. So, yeah. And it's, uh, cause I know Bruce Lee, I, um, he, his attitude of course was, you know, take what you like from an, some, an art and then disregard what's not working for you right. because, you know, he, you know, Wing Chung of course was his base. But then he also, you know, he took some kicks from Taekwondo. He right. did some boxing. He took some footwork from fencing. And then, um, you know, then did his, I don't remember if he did like just Greco-Roman wrestling for like taking some of his wrestling or if, uh, you know, or if he did jujitsu or something. But I know he also did study some grappling because uh, mm-hmm. I've read the, I've read parts of the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to go through the entire thing, but um, I know that's what he uh, like. One of the the things I always thought was interesting is how he adapted the stance from fencing, where you tend to keep your stronger side forward. 
Um, right. Like I, I don't know about you, but when you spar, if you're doing stand up, do you now are you right handed or left? I'm left handed with southpaw. Okay, I'm right handed, so uh, I think in boxing that's like orthodox, or I think, but yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's always I'm used to keeping my left hand forward and then my right hand back. Um, right. Because you know, a bit more defensive, but. Yeah, his uh, but Bruce Leo has favored keeping your right, you know, your stronger hand forward. And I guess his philosophy there was, well, if your right hand is your stronger, you know, your, your stronger weapon, why you keep it further away from the target? You keep it closer so that way it can get there faster. Wow. So that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if you know, but getting, I don't, I don't mean to keep going on boxing, but one of the earlier boxing styles from um, probably. The mid, from before the mid 1800s, um, under fought under rules called Broughton rules. Um, that was more fencing oriented. They used to call it fencing with your hands. So I mean, you look at the old woodcuts, the stances and the footwork and the strikes are similar to that. So it's really interesting that he probably Bruce Lee probably never had a chance to see those things, but I think he'd be interested to know that some of his theories were you know basically going back. Yeah, and, and I guess it's because, like I said, I prefer, I think some people call it more the, the sword and shield stance, how, right. like, if you're right-handed, your weapon's going to be in your right hand, and your shield's going right. to be in the left. Um, and I know my Eskrima instructor, when we were, well, we didn't really do knife fighting, but the program we did was called Reactive Knife. Okay. And as he told us, well, probably not going to do much good against a trained, skilled knife fighter. It's developed more for... The 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 style the founder of the style uh, Mike and I, he developed it primarily for law enforcement for situations like let's say they're doing a you know a responding to a domestic um, disturbance and right. someone pulls out a kitchen knife, you know so si situations like that, and you know we were going over the different types of stances you could be in with a knife and um you know like there's one where you have it more out the knife in front of you and you know then there's usually the one we always did is. You had the knife back, and then you had your hand over the knife. Right. Um, you know, and of course, the strategy and really mental conditioning was a big part of it because he always right. stressed that, okay, if someone attacks you with a knife, you're going to get cut. You right. can't You can't prevent that, but you can at least control where you're going to get cut. Exactly. Um, so what, like... Give me an example, if you would, about the, like how you drill something like that. How you would how drill guys? Uh, how did yeah the, the the defensive techniques for the knife? Well, the if knife. You don't mind. Oh no mm -hmm. problem. Um yeah, because a lot like I said, a lot of it was because you remember I was telling about the parry check. Right. Uh, we did a lot of that because um and you know talked about using a C grip with your hand where again looks like the C. Um, right. And you know of course the reason you did that is okay you're so if you've you've stopped the attack. You know, you're since you're in contact with them, you can kind of feel whether they're moving up or down. Right. Um, but yeah, they did stress a lot on okay, keep the knife hand covered because that way, uh, you know, if someone does stab your hand with your knife, you know, if you ever do get an actual knife fight, well, then you now you're you have to either try to fight left-handed, you know, or you're going to be at a right. huge disadvantage if your right. you know hand's been cut and losing blood. Right. And you know, I do I. That sounds really cool, actually. And and I do get the theory that what you're saying about putting your stronger hand forward. But I guess I've so indoctrinated myself in playing, you know, learning boxing that it's just 
I don't think I could adapt to that kind of because I tried fighting orthodox once and it didn't work out so well. Yeah. So I'm and, sticking to you know going to work hard with what I've got. Yeah, and that's I just, just I do see I, I'm sorry I do see the okay. the logic behind it though. Yeah, and like I said, I mean I can see again I see the I see the advantage in both. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, the, the advantage of having the knife in front is well if someone wants to attack you, you've got your knife out there to defend you. Right. So I guess it really depends on what your confidence level is. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I said, I've never been in a knife fight, so I've never had a chance to, you know, actually test that out. Right. And like you said, I mean, we'll get more discuss this more later anyway, but uh, I'm sure we'll have when we do the podcast on, you know, what use is any of this stuff anyway, you know, yeah. a lot of this stuff will come up. Yeah, because I, I know that's one thing that's always going to be, you know, that... As long as there are martial arts and new martial arts being created and, you know, new martial arts rising in popularity, everyone's always going to have the debate about what martial art is the best. And right. um, I, I know there was this one channel I like watching, Martial Arts Journey. He had one where he did discuss several, you know, important or not really important. Um, He was discussing several well-known martial arts and like, okay, trying to come up with the grading scale for like, okay, which one really would be the best. And, right. um, you know, of course he had his own opinions, but, uh, you know, really, I mean, my personal opinion, the best one is the one that you can get, you know, make work for you. Right. You know, so. I'm of the opinion these days that, you know, ballet dancing will work if you're, you know, you've got the aptitude for it, you know, <laughs> it, like you said, it depends on said person's um, coordination, balance and strength. And, you know, what what they can, you know, how they, like you said, how, how they can make it work for them. Yeah. And because uh, I've I mean, I've always tried to I've always considered myself a bit more of a defensive fighter whenever I've sparred. Mm-hmm. But my current new instructor was saying I I tend to be more offensive. So I don't know if um I don't know if I've just changed my style a bit or, or what. But uh-huh. maybe it's because since I'm not in as good shape as I used to be, I right. can't go to round 10 like I used to. So. If I did ever actually have to get in a fight, I mean, you know, real honest to goodness street fight where someone right. was trying to hurt me, my right. best option would be to take him down hard and fast. You know, none of this, right. you know, I'm going to wait for him to wear himself out because I'll probably, uh, I'll probably run out of gas before he does. <laughs> right. Yeah. And at my age, you know, the most uh, efficient way, it's not, I'm not in a boxing gym. I'm not in an MMA school. Basically, when it's time to throw down, you know, whatever's the simplest thing that you can get a hold of is going to work. Yeah, and uh, again, just kind of capitalize what you were saying there, going off what you were saying with the, you know, the simple stuff works. I There's another YouTube channel I watch, a guy named Ramsey Dewey, who mm-hmm. he, you know, he's a fight instructor in, in China. Right. And he was uh, talking about one of the, usually when for people who aren't going to be dedicating a lot of time to the serious study of martial arts, usually it's the simplest things. And he told a story about this woman who, you know, she always liked to jog and she went to a self-defense seminar. And one of the things that she did remember from that um, was, okay, hard versus soft, soft versus hard. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to strike a hard part of the body, it's best to use a soft part of your body, you know, and, and vice versa. And, well, I guess there was a guy that was apparently stalking her and just kind of got to know wherever, uh, you know, her current route. 
mm-hmm. when she was going by this one area, the guy tried to, you know, jump out, you know, jump out and, and assault her. But right. she was able to, even though she wasn't a trained martial artist, she was able to fight off the attacker because she remembered some of those basic things that they taught. Wow. Um, which I know that might be another topic because, uh, I mean, I, I, when I was in college, there were a couple times where I did teach self-defense seminars. Right. Um, cause one of the things I did back then, did you remember the UW Oshkosh, uh, university escort service, or I don't know if you've ever seen any of the flyers. I'd heard of it, but I, I don't remember the flyers at all. And for the listeners, not that kind of escort service. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, what it was is if, uh, if someone didn't want to walk home alone at night, what mm-hmm. they would do is they'd call us and we send a couple people to walk them to their destination. Right. And there were a couple other people who did martial arts that were on it. And I, I guess it's because we felt like, well, you know, while we're, of course we're not looking for fights, but, you know, if there ever was a situation where we had to protect someone, you know. You're ready. We, yeah, we're ready. And so there were a couple times where we did just basic self-defense seminars for that. And again, again, a lot of it was just more basic uh how to avoid getting in the fight in the first place. Um, right. Because as we I mean, we said one time, the other guy who did it with me, he, he did Taekwondo. At the time, I think he was first or second degree. I I don't remember. Um, But yeah, I said he had a, a background in Taekwondo. And, right. you know, of course, we was just focused on the simple stuff because... In an hour or so, yeah, you can show someone a couple dozen ways to escape a wrist grab or a cho- you know, a, a potential attacker. Right. But unless they go home and start practicing it, they're going to forget all of it by next week. Right. So. I always thought it was um, useful to to assume that they'd never really either never practice or never take another self-defense class, you know, for the rest of their lives. So. My thing was always to try to give someone that they can something that they can remember and take home and, you know, try to put it in their autonomic memory bank and use it right away and be able to draw on it whenever they could. So have you ever done any self-defense seminars or have any of the places that you ever trained at done them or? Um, no, I've taught some of the women in my life self-defense, but that's about it. Um, okay. Yeah. The kind of thing that I was interested in, if you know, that falls under the heading, quote unquote, of self-defense was more like the... Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rex Applegate or uh, name names sound like familiar. Bear Baron and O'Neill. Oh, they were um, they taught military combat. And I want to, you know, I can hear some skeptical people in the audience right now. Yeah, but you'll get thrown in jail. Okay, yes, you got to decide legally what you're prepared to, you know, you know what you're prepared to go through if you're going to defend yourself with these things. That being said, if you do decide to to take care of yourself, you know, you should be armed with some good information. So these military combat styles and these people that, you know, whose material I've studied, you know, there were things that I could easily tell the women in my life, you know, do this, do that, you know, three or four good moves as opposed to 20 moves that, you know, I've learned when I've taken a couple of seminars, you know? Yeah, that's true. And um, really uh, one piece of advice I would give for anyone who is interested in learning self-defense laws, take a concealed carry class even mm-hmm. if you don't own a handgun and you have no intention of uh, getting one. Because when my wife was at Boy Scout camp with my son, uh, one of the things they offered for the adults there was concealed carry class. Wow. So she took it and got the the certification. Now, granted, we don't have any handguns, 
Um, but she did get a manual with it, and I've looked through it, and it does actually have some very useful information. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in Wisconsin, you know, the, our our self-defense laws, of course, aren't going to be the same as, you know, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, or anywhere else. Um, right. You know, it's going to be... It's going to vary from state to state, of course, but generally the main thing that they always stress is you have the right to run away. You know, you're always encouraged to try to get away before actually fighting. And, you know, the other thing they always stress is there has to be reasonable evidence that the person is going to try to physically do you harm. Right. Obviously, someone jumps out and points a knife at you. They're pretty safe bet they want to hurt you. But they stress, like one of the examples they give is, you know, you might honestly believe right. that people who wear red pants are dangerous, but <laughs> that doesn't mean if you see someone wearing red pants, you can go up and, you know, punch them in the face. Exactly. So, exactly. well, I think we've uh, talked quite a bit. I mean, and of course we have lots of ideas for, because when Marcus and I were talking, we have lots of ideas about different topics we want to cover so uh you know stay tuned and we'll i'm certain you know i'm sure that some of the stuff we've kind of touched on today will go on in the the future so well uh, i'd like to thank you all for listening and hope you enjoyed the show and uh, hopefully when we actually get into more detailed conversations you'll find those interesting as well all right so peace talk to you later everyone You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.